So chapter 5, verse 1, we pick it up and we read this. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashad. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashad arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in his place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashad to this day. So as a result of what happened there with their idol Dagon in the city of Ashad and his statue was broken up, the idol, that it said that there was a therefore. That therefore is important because we have therefores in this chapter. Therefore, the priests, they were superstitious and they just know they don't do it the same way. Verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashad, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashad and its territory. And when the men of Ashad saw how it was, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? So now in the second place the ark went in Ashad, people were struck ravaged and struck with tumors and the surrounding territory. So it's a plague. God's allowed a plague upon them. And there's a therefore in verse 8. Therefore they gathered all their leaders and said, what are we going to do? And then we pick it up here. And they answered, let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. So it was after they carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out, saying, hey, they brought the ark of God of Israel to kill us and of all our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark. Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So we have an action, events happening that the Lord's allowing where he's showing his, his victory over the false gods of the men of the Philistines, of Dagon, the fish god. And then the responses of the people. So they're struck with tumors. Then they're struck, they're ravaged with tumors. And then again, as it progresses from Ashad and then to Gath and then Ekron, just the whole sequence of events, how it played out for them. And so it was, it was a tough go for the Philistines. And, you know, their victory over God's people was short-lived, wasn't it? They, they felt pretty good about themselves when they had victory over God's people. And they felt pretty confident about that. You know, that's how the world is. The kings of the world and the queens of the world who hate God and hate his people, his people of covenant, the church, they get pretty full of themselves when they feel like they have the, the upper hand against God's people. Like the Communist Party in China, like what they do to Christians and people of other faiths in China. And they get pretty full of themselves because they feel like they can get away with it. That's what the masters of the universe do. They do what they can until other men stop them or God just strikes them down. But of course, we all get struck down by death itself given enough time. But I find this story very interesting because these are religious men 
And this is really religion versus religion between mortal enemies. And they, they were pretty full of themselves. And we see in the Bible that God will allow his people to be chastened. And for example, years later, when God allows the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom, God allowed that. And yet he still totally judged the Assyrian people. Sent Jonah to Nineveh to teach them to repent. They did repent, but later on, God did judge the Assyrians. Historical people, powerful people, a ruthless people. God judged them. When the Babylonians conquered Israel a couple hundred years later and took them away to Babylon, God allowed the Babylonians. That's the whole book of Habakkuk, where God says, I'm going to allow something in your day, though I declare it to you, you wouldn't believe it. And it was impossible, and Sam taught this recently to our men, it would be impossible for the Jews to really wrap their mind around, like, why would you let these guys who aren't even people of covenant conquer us like this and take us away into captivity? But God allowed it as a chastening upon his people. But before the Babylonians were even anybody on the radar, he spoke through Isaiah the prophet 150 years before that, that these small-known, little-known group of people called the Chaldeans would rise up and become a world superpower, and he would judge them. He said he would judge his people through them before he ever did, and then he would judge them. God allows, in history, evil people to chasten his people of covenant to get their hearts right with him, certainly in the Old Testament, on a national level, in a covenant level, that they would be broken before him. And that is going to be accomplished in our text tonight before we're done. We will see that. But I'm just reminded of this text that no one gets away with anything. And nobody gets away with touching the bride of Christ. Just be reminded of that tonight. Don't mess with the church of Jesus Christ. Don't mess with God's people. Don't mess with the ministry of his word. Don't mess with the Holy Spirit. Don't mess with what he shed his blood for. So whether you're in the church messing with the church of Jesus Christ, because people come to church and mess with the church. If you've been here for 17 years, you'll know that when people, we call it the, sanct- the sanctity of the sanctuary and the integrity of the sanctuary. You weren't here when I ran across the room and confronted someone right over there being disruptive during worship. You weren't here when we had to confront people making a big scene over here during worship at another time and tell them you just can't do that. You weren't in Vermont when I had to stop worship and tell someone, knock it off, because we're worshiping Jesus, and it's not about you. There's a sanctity of God's people. There's a sanctity of the people of covenant. And it has to be guarded and protected. The sanctity of the sanctuary. You have to feel safe here to come and worship the Lord, and we keep you safe here. The ministry of the Spirit has to feel safe here for all of you. The sheepfold has to be a safe place. And it's a holy place, and it has to be that way. And people disrupt this, you know, a big Calvary. There's all kinds of security people. We have security people. There's all, you know, I I was once a big uh, Calvary Downey. You wouldn't know this, but Mike Lucas, who's one of our security guys, he's pretty unassuming. But there was a time I was in Jeff Johnson's pulpit, and I just got done teaching, and I was walking down, and all of a sudden I see a blur flash before my eyes. Someone was charging me from the congregation. And Mike Lucas tackled them and protected me from them. Mike Lucas, Lucas has been protecting me for 20 years in the pulpit. Don't mess with God's people. Don't mess with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Don't mess with the holy place. In the church and outside the church. So people in power, secular power, we've seen this in the last two years, 
You want to say abortion clinics are open, box stores, liquor stores, and casinos, and the church isn't? Don't mess with God's people. That's a test for God's people, but don't think you're getting away with anything. No one gets away with anything when they touch the bride of Christ. Don't mess with God's people. You might capture the Ark of the Covenant. In the, in the name of mandates from authoritarian type of personalities doing stuff, it's a test for God's people. But don't mess with God's people. Don't tell God's people they can't worship Jesus Christ and sing songs to him like we just did. Don't tell God's people they can't preach the word because history shows for 2,000 years in the New Testament that the church does what it does. And as they say in China, the church, we're like bamboo. You cut us down and we come back even more than we were before you cut us down. So the helplessness that many of us feel, because I've been censored in social media just for following people who disagree with our government. Don't mess with God's people. You can cancel, you can woke, and you can do those things, but know this, Church of Jesus Christ, God has our back, and everything's a test. And all these people who come against the church on planet Earth in 2022, they're messing with the Ark of the Covenant. And God might allow them to have authority, it would seem, over the Ark of the Covenant in the name of Caesar, but know this. No one gets away with anything when they're messing with the Church of Jesus Christ. All the love that you have ever felt for a human being, ever, at any time in your life, the love you felt for a human being, isn't even close to the love Jesus Christ has for us in this place here tonight. We're the church of Jesus Christ, and we are way more precious to him than the Ark of the Covenant. We're his bride. So this text is a good reminder for all those people who aren't here tonight that worship Dagon, that affect your world, they bully you at work, and they bully you with their laws and their mandates, twisting freedom and these kind of things, and taking words that are good words and making them bad words with all their little words speak, taking your personal wealth and these things that they're doing all over this country and all over this planet. Just know this, Jesus Christ loves his church, and we are way more precious than the Ark of the Covenant. So if God allows the Babylonians to take his people away into captivity, or the Assyrians to take his people away into captivity, or allows the church to go through the things we've been through, he's got a plan for it. In the end, that plan has one purpose, to better prepare us to step into eternity for the throne, before the throne of God and to stand right and justified for Jesus Christ with the life of faith. The things that we've been through are the ark being captured is a test of God's people to be ready for when the ark is returned and the glory comes back. And will we do the things that will make the glory come back and we'll be ready for the glory. But know this, nobody gets away with messing with God's people, ever. Not the CCP, not the Soviet Union, not the United States of America. Nobody gets away with messing with the church of Jesus Christ. Mark my words, from here to eternity, and we're going to make it, whatever we see right now, and what we're about to see, and these massive resets going on on this planet against the church, against the freedom of the gospel, and the teaching of the word, they might think they've captured the Ark of the Covenant, but you come against the church, you know what you get? Ravaged by tumors. You get the judgment of God. You might not get it like Gath got it, or Ashkelon, or these other places, but you'll get it. They'll get it. And you say, why, oh, Lord? We're like Habakkuk saying, oh, Lord, why do you allow this and that and everything else? 
And the Lord says, I'm going to do a work in your day, the Lord declared you wouldn't even believe it if you heard it. So I think this text is a really good reminder because the ark was captured as a chastening by the Lord against the house of Eli, against all of Israel, and he's chasing them. And yet, so that's between him and his people. So what we get and all things we go through and the things that are bullied on us and forced upon us, that's between us and the Lord to work out. And the people that take things from his people of covenant and exploit and bully and, and beat down his people of covenant, that's between him and them. But just know this, he will always deal with those who come against his bride. Jesus shed his blood for every one of us in this room. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And whatever people think they're doing against the church, and they are trying to silence us massively across the board right now, they can think they have the Ark of the Covenant because they control all the mediums. But God's got our back. And as it was said of Samuel, it can be said of us, he's established us, he's with us, and he will keep our words from falling and failing if we trust in him, trust in him and look to him. Chapter 5 is bad news for the world. It looks like chapter 9 in Revelation. They would not repent of their sorceries, of their sexual moralities, their pharm- pharm- the pharmacia, the drugs, and all that stuff. Isn't that funny, too? I never thought of the pharmacia with drugs. Huh. I've just been thinking weed. No. They wouldn't repent of all the stuff they're pumping into people. Revelation 9, they will not repent of their pharmacia, pharmaceutical. They would not repent of their sexual moralities, their murders, and their conspiracy, and their thefts, and their perjuries. Revelation chapter 9. So, this chapter reminds me of Revelation chapter 9. Because when God says, I'm going to deal with people, and judge people, and God does judge, God does judge people. Listen to Pastor Chuck teach this study from 40 years ago, just yesterday. He reminds us from the grave, from the kingdom, from the throne room, that God judges people in time, space, and matter when he wants to, where he wants to, however he wants to at any given time. It's his universe. So we just want to make sure we're on the right side of things. Where we're getting chastened to be refined. For chastening produces holiness for those who are trained by it. But judgment is judgment. So we read on. Chapter 6. Now, The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests of the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, If you send away the ark of God of of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is removed from you. Then they said, Well, what is the trespass offering that we shall return to him? And so they answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on all your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors, images of your rats that ravaged the land, and you should give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go? And that they might depart. Now, therefore, make a new cart. Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart. Put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him as a trespass offering, in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch. If it goes up to the road on its own territory to Beth Shemash, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it's not his hand that struck us. It just happened by chance. 
Then the men did so, and they took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart, shut up the calves at home. Then they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold, the gold rats and the images of the tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. So this plan called for something supernatural to be sure that God had had his hand against them. Because that's what people do. Like sometimes people talk themselves out of God's chastening or God's judgment. And like, no, it's just dumb luck. It's just coincidence. Like, no, that, that, God's personal. He knows the hairs on everybody's head. And as he's personal for blessings, he's also personal for chastings and curses. And they're like, well, you know, like, maybe it's just dumb luck. Like that it's just by chance, Dagon fell down twice, two nights in a row. Like, maybe it's just like bad luck or just could have been a little tremor and we didn't know, like, so they set up a situation where it had to be contrary to nature. Two cows who just have their calves are not going to go the opposite direction of their calves. They can go toward their calves. And they're not going to run a straight line to Israel with the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to turn around and they're going to be lowing, looking for their calves. So that the, that the cows went this way, is, it's supernatural. It's contrary to nature, what the cows did. They went away from their natural instincts that God would have in them. So that was a sign to the Philistine lords that the hand of the Lord is against you. And the same God who delivered Israel from Egypt has plagued you with these things, with these rats and these tumors that you've had. And don't be confused and think it's not the Lord. So it was God made it very clear to them that he had did this to them. It is interesting that Israel, is, of course, is a nation right now. Jews who are ethnically Jews are in the promised land. They're all over the planet. In spite of attempts by different cultures to completely eradicate Jewish people ethnically from the face of the planet since the time of Christ and even before that. I mean, you go back to Herod the Great. You go back to Haman. There has never been a shortage of men and women trying to eradicate the very existence of the Jewish people ethnically from planet Earth. And you say, well, okay, yeah, and no, they're still here. But no, realize there's lots of ethnic people groups that are no longer on planet Earth. They no longer exist. And this ethnic group is the third strongest economy. uh, Well, it was previously the third largest exporter in the world just a few years back. The size of Southern California, Israel. The Star of David, they're there. So let me ask you this question. Where are the Philistines? They're not Palestinians, just so you know. That's just the name of the land. The Philistines were a nomadic people group that kind of came from nowhere to end up there in the coastal region of Israel at this time. And eventually they just dissipated. There's no, there's no, they're, they're just gone. God raises up nations and he brings down nations. And he has called for the eradication of certain people groups historically because they're so evil, such as the Canaanites originally from the time of Abraham, going back to the time of Abraham. The Egyptian people are never, ever going to be a prosperous people. You know why? Because God said so. Cairo is one of the dirtiest cities on planet Earth. 2,000 years later, 4,000 years later. And it doesn't mean God doesn't save Egyptians. When a, God saves many Egyptians. In fact, there's a lot of strong Christian Egyptians. But as an ethnic people group, the Egyptians are never going to rise up and be anything great again. Not because I say so, but because God says so in his word. 
And Israel's in the promised land, thriving, not because I said so, but because God says so in his word. And the, the Philistines no longer exist. They're nobody. Israel is a world power. Probably person for person, woman for woman, man for man, the best military in the world. And at some point, the whole world's going to come against them. And it looks like it could be tomorrow. And God's going to defend them and renew his covenant with them, which is a whole other Bible study. But this, again, the Philistines and what's going on here just reminds us that God will deal with the nations and he'll deal with those people that come against him and his people. And particularly here in this context, the Jewish people. Now, there's a a strong warning in this text that that gets all of our attention. These diviners, these prophets of uh, Dagon or whoever they were, maybe they're kind of like, remember how Balaam, just this random prophet shows up and he's like, with Israel back in the book of Numbers. We don't, like, these, these guys just show up. It's like, hey, they bring the diviners. Tell us what we should do. What's the trespass? What should we do? And it, what, what's, the, what's the best thing they told them not to do? Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart against the God of Israel. And isn't that good counsel for the Church of Jesus Christ tonight? Oh, man. Do not harden our heart against the Lord. One of the most difficult things in ministry is watching people harden their heart against the Lord in the church of Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest, to look in the mirror and see myself when I've hardened my heart against the Lord. But it is hard to watch people not receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not to receive the word of God as it applies to their life. You know, the book of Proverbs is all about being teachable and receiving correction Open reproof is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs over and over says that a fool is counted wise when he heeds counsel. But alas, you can beat a fool a hundred times and he's still a fool. So some people never learn from their mistakes. They repeat their mistakes. They never grow. They never get better. And they, they just, they harden their heart. Now these guys are the enemies of the Lord hardening, they're being warned not to harden their heart. That's what being told not to do. And what that means in this context for Philistines, I can't say I know for sure. I just know it's never a good thing to harden your heart against God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. It's just never a good thing. It's never going to be a good ending. I've been an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista for three years with Brian Broderson in the 80s. I've been a church planner in Virginia Beach for four years in the 90s. I've been a church planner in Burlington, Vermont for a year and a quarter in the 90s. I've been a guest speaking speaker for four years in the 90s to hundreds of churches. I've been an assistant pastor with Chuck Smith for five years at Calvary Costa Mesa overseeing worship generation and guest speaking at over 300 churches. And I've been the pastor of this church for almost 18 years. And I can tell you, it is hard to watch people harden their hearts against the Lord who call themselves believers and see the end result of what happens to them. In 18 years of this church, we've had many people come who would not receive correction and harden their hearts against the Lord and against his people in this building. Many of them are interning now. They're gone. They're just gone. 
And in many cases, they blamed us for whatever was wrong in their life. And they went their way. They rolled over in bitterness in many cases, and they died in their bitterness. And some of you know who I'm talking about. Not just one or two people, many people. One of the interesting things about being a Saturday night, Tuesday night Calvary Chapel in Orange County is about 50 Calvary Chapels in our region within 30 minutes. And what happens when you're a church like ours, well, all the Calvaries get this, but we get a little more, is we're like a river, you know? Like if something's spilled in Pittsburgh, it goes down river and it affects a, a, a city down the way as the river winds toward the Mississippi and on out to the Gulf. Pollution flows downstream. And one thing that every church in Calvary Chapel in this region has is they get pollution from other churches and they flow it downstream. And it's a test for every church. Are you going to address this? Are you going to clean this up? Are you going to keep your church healthy? Are you going to just let this go on? Or are you going to deal with this? This stalker, this woman threatening my life, these things, are you, are you going to deal with these things? Or are you going to protect God's people? The most beautiful thing is when people have a hard heart and they break. The most ugly thing is when people have a hard heart and they do exactly what the Bible says. They get stiff-necked. They go like this. You know the reason God says they're stiff-necked? Because they literally do it. That's it, right? You don't want to see me doing this. I'm in character. You don't want to see that. Do you want to see that from me? No. You want to see brokenness. You get like back 20 years ago, you get like the cool bumper sticker for your churches. Like our, where the, you know, these cool little slogans for a church. Jennifer's like, we talked about good bumper stickers that were bumper stickers you really want. My church, my pastor's under a death sentence. Like that's a good one. Because I am. Death to the flesh. My pastor's being publicly humiliated by the Holy Spirit. That's the church you want to go to. You don't want to go to this one. You want to go when they're broken. Do not harden our hearts to the things of the Lord. For who has hardened their heart against the Lord and ever prevailed? Have you ever prevailed when you hardened your heart against the Lord? Ever? Have I? Has anyone? When we're stiff-necked and we harden our heart to the Lord, man, we put ourselves in such a bad way. I told you about that one time in Virginia Beach, that Navy SEAL. He was trembling and his fists were clenched. And no one tells him he can't sleep with this woman. And this is, and that, you know, that he should be reconciled to his wife. And no one tells him that. And he's trembling. And he's looking at me and his teeth are gritting like this. And I was like, not too bad. Hey, if he beats me up, he beats me up. I've got in Jesus' name, call the police. But I don't have much after that. I have that visual in my mind from 32 years ago of that man threatening me, trembling with a stiff neck. That man walked away from his calling in the Lord. He walked away from his wife and he walked away from his church because of his pride and his obstinance and his sinful heart. And I've seen so many people do that at Big Calvary when I was there and I've seen many people do it here. And when it happens, you know what happens? You lose your ministry with them. You lose your ministry. 
See, people go from church to church to church not receiving correction when the same issues come up at churches and they get stiff-necked and they just bring the problem to another church. And they're really easy to hide in big churches. They're hard to hide in small churches. Pastor Chuck, years ago in Philadelphia, 1993, at the pastor's conference, he had a special setting just for senior pastors. And I was a young senior pastor. I'd been through a church split in the last year. And he called us in this room. He goes, fellas, I got to tell you something. I'm going to speak to my heart from you about being a senior pastor. And I'll never forget the main thing he said is, if you don't deal with weird stuff, you will only have weird stuff. And he talked about weird stuff that he had as a senior pastor in the Foursquare movement. And he said, I didn't deal with it, and it got weirder. And they talked about when he dealt with it, and it got healthy. And I vowed to myself from that day on, I'm going to deal with weird stuff. Because if I don't, we'll only have weird stuff. And people hardening their hearts is weird stuff. I've literally carried someone out of the hotel at the Econo Lodge in Vermont with Jim O'Connor for a man who hardened his heart and would not receive our correction. He threw such a fit. We literally carried him out of a meeting room in a hotel. His heart was so hard. He, it, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't reason with him. It was horrible. So I tell you this because the Bible warns us not to harden our heart. And we're not Philistines, we're the church. And we just don't want to harden our hearts to the Lord. I do not want to harden my heart to the Lord. You know, I got that 29-page letter critiquing me. I joke about it, I haven't taught, brought it up in a long time, but someone was mad at me and they wrote me a 29-page letter. 29-page letter about everything wrong with my life, including my hairstyle <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the lisp on my lip that was surgically fixed about seven years ago. Critiqued everything. Beyond the Dream movie, he, he took Beyond the Dream movie and he shredded it. He shredded every single aspect of my personal life from top to bottom, 29 pages. The problem with that letter is some of it was true. Some of it was true. Now, I can't fix how my hair goes when I... I don't like it long and I don't like it short. I'm stuck in the middle. So if you think I need to fix it, I'm trying to. But I'm not going back to G.I. Joe, so just know that. That, that. that look's not coming back. So we're working it. We've got the best hairstylist working on it. and We're trying to find the sweet spot. We're two years into this. <laughs> but he wrote two paragraphs on my hairstyle. I was so mad I couldn't sleep for nights. I was so mad. I was like, who writes a 29-page letter to the pastor and does that? But you know, once I got past all my pride, there was a lot of things in there that I needed to hear. And you know what? Tonight when I minister to you after service, you're the better off for it. And the guy that wrote that letter, we are very good friends. He's, he always apologizes for it now. And I tell him, don't apologize for it. You did me more good than you ever would know. But he pops in about once every two years to say hi. And he's a pastor now. So now he knows what it's like to get those letters. <laughs> Do not harden our hearts to the Lord. You know, that's, no one hardens their heart. Receive correction from the Holy Spirit when you're reading the word. Refre receive correction from the Holy Spirit when you're waiting on the Lord praying. Receive correction from your mom, your spouse, your dad your co-workers, your boss, your grandkids. 
receive correction. See, see the correction of the Holy Spirit in your world so you can grow and learn from it. Because if you don't get the little things, they become big things. And it becomes so obvious to everybody except the person you're looking at in the mirror. And you don't want to be that person. No one likes to be reproved. But I will say this. I prefer to be reproved privately by the Holy Spirit as opposed to publicly with a 29-page letter. Do not harden our hearts. We will never prevail against the Lord when we harden our hearts. Pharaoh didn't. They didn't. No one ever does. Now we read on in verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the, so these are Israelites. Then the ark came into the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh, stood there, a large stone was there, so they split the wood of the cart, offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Man, they're excited. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was in it, which was the articles of gold, and put them on, a, on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashad, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages. Even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh? Then he, that is Lord, struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men. And the people of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall it go from us? And so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of uh, Kirjath Yiram, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord, come down and take it up with you. So in this back part of chapter 6, the joy, there's great joy. They get the ark back after seven months. They're, like, can you imagine? Oh, there's the ark of the covenant on a cart with two cows bringing it your way. It, it, again, it's a miracle. It's supernatural. And it's like Ichabod, the glory had departed. It's a post, post Ark of the Covenant world in Israel. Like that thing that represented God's presence is gone. And they still got to go to work. They still got to work the fields. No work, no food, right? Like life goes on. We've been talking about this. No matter what's going on, we still got to wake up. Testings, trials, tragedies, tribulation. We still got to get up and go to work. We, like we talked about this with Ruth, right, and Naomi. You still got to follow the bread trail. These people are still going to work, and they feel like God's against them, and he had chasing them, but now God restores the ark to them. But then these guys, of course, they do the one thing you're not ever supposed to do. They obviously looked in the ark. They did something with the ark that defiled the holiness of God's presence and brought his chastening upon them. You know, there are universal laws, right? Gravity is a universal law. Whatever we don't like about planet Earth or the universe and how time, space, and matter work or gravity, you can say, I hate gravity, I don't like gravity, but you're not going to win against gravity. We can't go to the Logos building and say, I deny gravity, I hate gravity, and jump off the Logos building and expect to defeat gravity. So, too, the laws of sowing and reaping are universal laws for blessings and for chastening. Those are spiritual universal laws. And concerning the Ark of the Covenant and God's law. Now we know God's law points us to Christ for the church to be saved through faith in Jesus. But God's law is good. And we know that 
really God's law is the standard by which humanity is judged. Because we're told that every mouth is stopped in silence before God by his law. The Ten Commandments. So there's absolute things. God's nature is never going to change. So God is holy, always is holy. So the last 20 years, we've watched people worldwide try and redefine God as being not holy, and he makes people unholy. And they blend their unholiness and licentiousness and debauchery upon him and saying somehow he made them that way. But they don't change who he is because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is holy. And I must be regarded as holy by those who come near to me. So again, if the people of covenant want to say we worship the Lord and then do defiling things, you're going to face the consequences of it. And even as these Israelites mess with the ark, open it up, so too all these people calling themselves Christians and embracing all these things they call, you know, progressive modernistic things that are contrary to his word, contrary to his nature, and contrary to everything that's good, just, true, noble, praiseworthy, and honorable. You think God's not going to hold people accountable for that who call themselves Christians and embrace those things? He doesn't change. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So when so-called progressive Christians deny the scriptures and deny origin, deny gender, deny marriage, and all things that God has, and they redefine that and say that's God, there you might as well just be opening the Ark of the Covenant. Because God's not going to change. And I actually feel bad for him. And God's just shaking everything right now on planet Earth anyways, right? When the things that are shaken are shaken, the things that are solid remain. It's not really my objective to, to go against the church, anyone that's called the church. But if you're the boss or the chief, you know, you're the archbishop of some movement, and you embrace things that are totally offensive to the Lord and say that's the Lord, bad for you. Bad for you in time and bad for you in eternity. You might as well be opening up the ark because God's not going to let that slide. And not only that, of all things that Jesus condemned, those who... Stumble children, it's better to put a millstone around your neck and jump in the Sea of Galilee. So all these people forcing all these things on little kids, the transgenderism, pseudoscience, pseudo-healthcare, don't mess with Jesus, don't mess with his word, and don't mess with his kingdom. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ and his holiness and his glory against an unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world where he judges them. And it's the last book of the Bible. And that's what we're moving toward. Strong things need to be said, and I'm saying them right now in Jesus' name, in the context of his word. Don't mess with God's people and don't mess with the Ark of the Covenant. Don't do things that God forbids. Even David has to learn this. Dance all you want with the Lord, but the priest carry the ark on, on the poles. Don't put the ark on a cart or your party's over. There's God's way and everything else is the wrong way. There's the narrow way, it's the right way. And there's a broad way and it's the wrong way. Always the right way. Now, chapter seven. Then the men of Kirjath Yerim came out and took the ark of the Lord, brought him to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Okay, so they they move the ark like they're like they no like everyone's terrified of the ark, but because if you're not holy, then you're you're in trouble in God's holy presence. So it was the ark remained in Kirjath Yerim a long time. It was there twenty years, 
And the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the asterisks, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day. And they said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God to us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel." And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And of course, that's the famous Ebenezer stone. So the ark is in Kirjath Hiram for 20 years. So from the time of the events, the ark being restored, 20 years goes by. It's 20 years. And all Israel's known as defeat. And then now God begins to move. And how can, he, how can we even understand when and how God chooses to move? But he's beginning to move. He's doing something. God is on the move. And Samuel is running point for it. And Samuel gathers the people together. And he said, if you return to the Lord. So now we have repentance, right? It's God's people repenting. That's what it is. It's God's people making things right. So putting away the asterisk, which is the sexual goddesses, and uh, Baal, which also, there's supposed to be, asterisk and Baal were like a, a, a father and a mother, sex gods or whatever. We talk about the foreign gods, that they're interchangeable with names like Poseidon and Neptune, and their characteristics are interchangeable depending on who's like claiming that god and redefining that god, because that's what people do. They pick and choose religion and make new religions. That's what we do, even on planet Earth to this day. That's what they did. But these two gods... They're sex gods. So basically, they're repenting of their sexual immorality. Samuel says, make it right, prepare your heart, get right, and serve the Lord only. He was calling for all-out consecration to the Lord. And they agreed to it, which is beautiful. So this is revival. This is Old Testament revival. They agreed to it. They, and this is interesting because you can convince one person to get right with the Lord. And you can sometimes re- re- get a, a married couple to get right with the Lord, right? They can walk out with hard hearts like we talked about earlier. But sometimes it, goes, sometimes it does go good. It goes really good. It's a beautiful story, right? Like, I've done two different weddings where people are being remarried after they've been divorced, just so you know. Sometimes it does get good, right? Now, that's not always good. That's pretty rare, but it can happen. In some cases, it could never happen. But in some cases, it can. And I've seen it happen twice. But whatever it means to get right for God's people at a given time, we want to get right. So whatever it means for me to be right with the Lord, I want to be right with the Lord. The same for you, right? That's repentance because that's how we grow. We repent when, we're, when God's dealing with us and working in us. But to make a house right is more challenging. 
to have a whole house broken before the Lord. It's easier to see one person broken before the Lord than a household. Then how about a church? Like, how does a whole church get right with the Lord that's not right with the Lord? Or an entire movement, like these liberal denominations that deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Like, how do you make them right with the Lord? How would they have revival? I don't know, but it could happen, right? Like, it could. So what I'm saying is, the broader the scope, the more miraculous it is that people collectively get right with the Lord, which makes this a beautiful story because they all repented. They collectively, as the people of covenant, a large group of people, an ethnic group of people, they did cast off their asterisks and baals. They did make it right. They brought the water, which is an interesting sacrifice, but they poured out the water. They made it right, and God honored it, and he restored them. They repented, and they were restored. That's what happened. And it's a beautiful story. And then, so Samuel's praying. They're doing the whole thing. They got the sacrifice going. And now, wouldn't you know it, this is what always happens when you get right with the Lord. Most of the time, maybe not always, but most of the time, when you make that concerted effort to truly make things right, like really, you know, break up the fallow ground, make things right, and you're really serious, more serious than you've ever been, like you're really all in, like the scales are like this, the weight is there, you're all in, well, wouldn't you know, here come the Philistines, because the Philistines don't like God's people being right with God. But there's nothing more powerful on planet Earth in time, space, and matter than God's people who are right with God. Because those are the people that God pours his Holy Spirit out on. Those are the people that have the keys to the kingdom. And those are the people that are bold as lions to do the work of the kingdom. None of us ever can really say, I can be used to the Lord because I'm totally right with the Lord. But we know what's sincerely going forward with the Lord and what is hypocrisy. We all know that in our own hearts. And these people are right. And the Philistines came. And when you're right with the Lord, and you're trying to go right with the Lord, and the Philistines come, the great news is God's got your back, and he'll deal with the Philistines. And he dealt with the Philistines here. See, the difference between this battle and the one 20 years before when the glory departed and they lost the ark is this one, is they're right with God. And that's a big difference, isn't it? It's a lot better to face the Philistines when you're right with God than when you're not. Because the battle is the Lord's. And God took care of it, and he brought them victory. Total victory. God brought the supernatural, and we're going to see going forward in the books of Samuel and even toward kings, there's supernatural victories. The battle is always the Lord's. And when people are right with God, they're repented, they're restored, you learn the battle is the Lord's. And it's a lot easier to trust the Lord when you feel like you're not playing games with the Lord or being hypocritical with the Lord. Finally, we read in verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel covered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. See, when the battle is the Lord's, he restores things that are lost. That's what happens when we repent. We put away the offensive things, and we get right. Verse 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, judged Israel in all those places, but he always returns to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. After this chapter, our focus will begin to shift to Saul, the first king of Israel. We'll still get some Samuel, but it really goes from Saul to David now, thus completing the focal point, being on Samuel. But I just like a chapter that ends talking about a man's life and the legacy of his life or a woman and the legacy of her life. 
Uh, and there he built an altar to the Lord in their home. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Like, we're not saying, oh, the glory is departed, Ichabod. You know, like, oh, what a, what a, what a, I don't like the way that segment ended. The visual here is a good man, a godly man, a man that God was using, elevating God's people, going on a circuit, using his gifts for God's glory. And he comes home to his house, his home. He has a wife and kids. And there where he lives, there's an altar to the Lord. His life, his home, his family belong to the Lord. He was a worshiper. He worshiped at ground zero, his home. And from that basis, he went out and ministered to all Israel. Our home is a place for an altar where Jesus is Lord, ground zero. And we go out from there and whatever circuit God has for us. And we want to be like Samuel, established by the Lord. The Lord was with him and none of his words fell to the ground. And that's all overflowing from an altar, if you will, in his backyard, which really is reflective of an altar to the Lord in his heart. That's who we need to be. Men and women with altars to Jesus Christ enthroned in our heart.